Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. Uh, glad that you're able to make it. Good to be back. Masha and I are uh, thankful that we get to be at church. And I um, hope you all heard the good news that Masha has an arm free. And the other one is just a brace. So she is, she is free of all of those big old splint things. And she can do things like eat. And it's amazing. And uh, Well, no. no. No arm wrestling for six years. Um, and no basketball for, like, the rest of her life. She's, she's not allowed. All right, well, uh, why don't we pray as we come before God? Um, <laughs> it's always my kid. Why don't we pray? Father Almighty, we thank you that you uh, call us together. We thank you that you have been so faithful to us. We thank you that in your character we see your grace. Uh, we see not only who you are, but who you call us to be. Um, as we come before you, Lord, help us to, to give ourselves to you, to be thankful, um, to remember all the things that you've taught us the last six months. Um, and as we look forward, help us, Lord, to leave on the right note, on the note of the cross. For all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've just spent the last six months or so talking about virtue. Um, so hopefully something got uh, got stuck in your heads, right? So hopefully you uh, hopefully you remember something. Um, like the, the saying goes, right, if you throw enough spaghetti at the wall, something's got to stick. Uh, so today is about seeing what spaghetti got to stick. Um, so we're going to do some review. We're going to uh, reflect on some of the ideas that we've discussed, some of the things that we've talked about. Um, and then I'd like to, to close our time on virtue um, because we've, we've done enough. We've talked for six months about virtue, so now we get to conclude. Um, we get to hopefully wrap a nice little bow on this. Um, so let's, let's review a little bit. Let's, let's reflect on what the Lord has taught us these last six months. Um, first one that kept coming up, right? One of the things that I kept trying to reiterate was there's, scripture has a couple of verses, right, that kind of summarize what does it mean to live, um, to live how God calls us to live? What does it mean to be virtuous? What, what verse would you pick to kind of summarize virtue, um, the Christian life, things like that? What do you think? What verses come to mind? Okay. Okay, so that's fruits of the spirit, right? Fruits of the spirit, Colossians three. Is that Galatians? What's Colossians? Oh, right. Yeah, putting on the new self. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, Matt. Proverbs three, five, and six. So which which one's that? Yeah. Trust the Lord with all your heart and all your ways acknowledge him. Yeah, a couple of wonderful verses, wonderful passages. What else? What other what other verses have we talked about that summarize kind of all of virtue? Matt. Well we also did that passage from Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Yeah. That was that was the verse that I kept trying to push as this is kind of this is the summary right this condenses a ton of stuff into one pithy little short verse john do you have something to add no okay yeah so so deuteronomy 6 5 you shall love the lord your god with all of your heart with all of your soul and with all of your might 
So we talked about how this verse kind of summarizes all those other passages, right? Colossians 3 or Galatians and the fruits of the Spirit or even Proverbs or many other passages where it gives us kind of a this bird's eye view of what the Christian life looks like. Uh, this draws even further back and says, well, let's summarize all of that. What, do you, what can you boil down um, the Christian life to? Loving God. And specifically, loving God with all that you have and all that you are. So when we talked about this verse, right, we said all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your might. We summarize this as, well, we're to love God with our minds, to love God with our hearts, and to love God with our lives. So if you had to summarize virtue, there you go. Love God with your heart, with your mind, and with your life. Um, We also talked about how virtue isn't about being a good person. Right? We're, we're not aiming for this goal of being a decent human being. Um, our goal is loving the Lord. Uh, that means a couple of things. One, right, that changes how we shape and how we view virtue. Um, and it also changes uh, how we view unbelievers and what they can do. Right? What's, what's the essential ingredient that unbelievers are missing? All right, let's back up even a further step. Can unbelievers be virtuous? What do you think? I know you're pulling from six months ago. Matt? Well, I was just saying that all, without God, nothing we do is of any worth or value or anything. It's all self-direct. So, no, I would say no. Yeah. Okay, so Matt says no. Charlie? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I think so. Like you, you covered the four classical virtues which Christians pull off in the Middle Ages from the Greeks, right? So you have all these Greeks writing about courage and justice and all these things. And I think in the Scripture, God will allow other nations to exhibit a virtue to shame and to mock, to punish His people, to show that they've been disloyal. So I think in common grace, yes, but only in an earthly doesn't transmit to anything eternal. Okay. Right? So it's like a, a non-Christian can be, a, can be truthful. They can tell the truth. Sure. Right? But that truth isn't grounded in honoring Christ, so it's, it's you know, you have to discern, so to speak, sure. what the value of it is. Okay. So you say, so Charlie says yes, but in a limited sense. Matt says no, because there's no worth apart from Christ. Um, uh, any other thoughts? Any other thing to add, Michelle? If I could summarize both of those, I would say non-believers can do virtuous things that look virtuous on the outside, but internally they can't mm. be virtuous because they, and you talked a lot about their motivations and their, how they're not pure, and ours are muddled, but at least we have the Holy Spirit helping us out. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So Michelle says um, they can do virtuous things, but they can't be virtuous. There is an external, they can do the external acts, but having the, the correct internal attitudes, motivations, and stuff, that's lacking. Um, okay, some, some good answers. I, I think y'all are, are hitting at good points. Um, what, what I would say is pretty similar to what Michelle said. Essentially, I think that an unbeliever can do an, a virtuous act, um, but they can't be virtuous. C.S. Lewis is illustration of this was even a bad tennis player makes a good shot once in a while. 
right? But they're still a bad tennis player. They can still hit it into the corner once in a while. But there's something missing. Because if we just said, right, if you wanted to sum up virtue as loving God, can an unbeliever do that? I don't think so. They can do things that on the outward side look like a good deed or a virtuous deed. But if virtue is about loving God, it's not about the actions you're doing. The action is an outflow. It's about your internal heart, your motivations. Why are you doing it? What's driving you? What's pulling you? And what goal are you aiming towards? An unbeliever is not looking at Christ and saying, Christ is the goal. I want to be like Christ. They're looking at, okay, maybe they have a, Uh, an example in the world, they say, well, I really want to be like Tom Brady, or I really want to be like Michael Jordan. I always use sports references. What's the reference? Um, I don't know. I don't know what you guys like. Um, There's some person that you look up to and you want to be like this person because you see good things in them. Um, But at the end of the day, we are not looking down here for what virtue means. We're looking at the word and we're looking to heavenly things. So there's an essential ingredient that unbelievers are missing. Um, and this is kind of where, um, where we started to talk about how faith affects virtue. Because the essential ingredient that unbelievers are missing is faith. Because if you don't believe in God, you're not going to love God. And without that essential ingredient of faith, you're not going to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. You're not going to even want to. You're going to want to do the opposite. You're going to want to hate God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. So the things that you do will not be for the love of the Lord. But faith then for us means that not only do we have that essential ingredient, but that changes how we view virtue, how we live in a completely different way from how the world sees things. The world will say, here's this good thing that's good. Generosity, right? They say, it's good to give. It's good to give away. But I'm, uh, believers look at generosity in a completely different way. What we talked about right, was not, okay, y'all should be giving more. Was that the point of the lesson? No. What was, what was the point of the lesson on generosity? What was the foundation upon which generosity is built? Part of that, partly Gratitude. But it's a specifically an attitude towards material possessions. Do you remember? It's okay if you don't. That was a while ago. Oh, yeah. Do you remember? I don't think I Yeah, absolutely. The foundation of generosity is what I have is not mine. It belongs to the Lord. Therefore, it's not really... You know, giving away, it's, it's a different attitude because you are fundamentally trusting in God and not in your material possessions. If you trust in your material possessions and that's what you hold on to, generosity is, is completely different. But when we are trusting the Lord for our material possessions, generosity is not just a thing we do, it's, it's natural. It's, of course I will give. It's not mine. Of course I will, I will be generous with my time. It's not mine or my energy. So faith changes how we view virtue. Uh, <clears throat> so let's talk about what, what we talked about. What, what, what is virtue then? 
It's loving the Lord, right? But how do we apply that into, into life? What is virtue? How would you define virtue? Is, would you define virtue as doing a good thing? Here's this list of good things that the Bible tells us to do. If you do them, you're virtuous. Charlie. So I think I missed that week, but I think historically the definition of virtue has had to do with sort of like a combination of like true humanness and orderliness. So if we work from that, it would be living in such a way as God has ordained man to live, like restored humanity. So Christ would be the truly and only virtuous man who ever lived because he, his life has been fully, is a fully um, sinless life, right? And so as our actions are being restored to that true humanity in Christ, that's what virtue is. It's like restored humanity in our actions, affections. Okay. I think there's, yeah, I like that. There's a sense where you could define virtue as being truly human. Um, and thus that means that Christ is, of course, the only virtuous, truly virtuous human to have ever lived. Um, I, would, I would add that we can think of virtue as um, habits, dispositions, and attitudes. Um, like C.S. Lewis's illustration, right? The bad tennis player will make a good shot every once in a while. How do you become a good tennis player? Practice. It becomes, uh, it, over time, after hard labor, working and practicing, it becomes natural to hit the good shot, right? Virtue kind of works in a similar way. Is, is You're not going to start off being an innately virtuous person. It's something that you have to learn, that you have to grow in, that you even have to practice, until it becomes a habit, right? You don't start off in life trusting God perfectly. You don't come into this world with a sense of complete submission to the Lord. You come into the world in, in demanding and yelling and screaming. And um, we have to learn over, over a long period of time what it means to trust God, what it means to submit to him, what it means to live in a way that honors him. So I think you can add that that heart attitude, right? It's part of your heart's flowing into your life. So let's talk about those three uh, those three categories in a virtue. Remember, we talked about Deuteronomy 6.4, love the Lord your God, all your mind, all of your heart, and all of your life. Um, so what? how should we love God with our minds? What does that mean? How do we love God with our minds? Maybe you can think back to some of the virtues we talked about, um, or maybe a couple of verse passages, or even just generally. Love someone, you must know them. Okay. So I think make every effort to know God. Okay, yeah. Yeah, definitely. How can you love God if you don't know who he is? Uh, so we did talk about uh, loving the truth. Right? We talked about truthfulness as a virtue. Um, that was both towards the Lord and understanding God's truth and also being honest with ourselves, um, not being self-deceiving about our own sin. Um, truthfulness had a lot of applications. 
right? How we, how we love truth affects um, the rest of our lives. What else? How do we love God with our minds? Yeah, taking every thought captive to Christ. That means there are some runaway thoughts that need to be corralled. Right, you got to get your Australian shepherd out there to bring those thoughts back to Jesus. And that passage, that passage is uh, kind of directed towards um, destroying false systems of thought. There's another passage that has more to do with our own personal thoughts, um, and that is... Um, set your mind on the things that are above. I believe that's Colossians, um, where Christ is. Right, we are tempted to have our thoughts down here on earth, thinking about all the things of the world, thinking about life, thinking about what you're going to have for dinner. Not bad things, good things. But we're also called to set all of those thoughts, to bring them up to the Lord, um, to set our thoughts on heavenly things. If we only think about God on Sunday, I think we're missing the point. How else can we love God with our minds? Study his word. Okay, study his word. That applies to just about every virtue on the planet. What about um, what about trusting God? Does that have to do with your mind? I think so, right? Because if, if you are trusting the Lord, you're setting your mind not on right the things of the world, but you're setting your mind on God. Your thoughts are not, you're, you're not letting your thoughts go haywire with anxieties and what ifs and how on earth is all this going to happen. You're setting your mind on, well, the Lord is in control, reminding yourself that God is sovereign. He rules. There's other, there's other ways we can love God, right? We can be courageous. Courage, we talked about, is an application of, of loving God with our minds. Um, thinking God's thoughts after him, which means thinking about or, or setting our minds on what God desires, what he prioritizes. Um, how can we know that if we aren't reading his word? Stuff like that. Uh, so one of my big points was loving God with your mind is an application of faith. Faith has to do with how we love God with our minds. Not because faith is a super intellectualized thing, but it has to do with um, the things that we believe, the things that we trust, the things that we think about. Those are all applications of faith. And the next category of virtue is an application of hope. How do we love God with our hearts? So do you remember, do you remember what we talked about? Um, what does it look like to love God with your heart? Or, or let me ask this. What should you desire? Oh, sorry, Charlie. Go for it. I was just going to say, with, with the sort of discipline of like mortifying sin, mortifying desires, the heart is usually the seat of affections. Mm-hmm. Right? Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. So it would be, be more inward. Yeah. Dealings of the word. First Peter said, Jesus as Lord of your heart, first thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think the, the a couple of words you mentioned are really important. Desire, 
Right? Our hearts are about our desires. Um, if you desire the things of the world, you're going to love the things of the world. Or vice versa, right? If you love the things of the world, that's what you're going to desire. Um, if you love the Lord, you're going to desire the Lord. And so the psalmist says, right, uh, nothing in heaven or on earth satisfies me except for you. I, you are my only desire, Lord. Right? Not even the things in heaven, the amazing, glorious things that are in God's throne room are enough. Only the Lord is enough for the psalmist. Um, so when we love God with our, with our hearts, that is desiring him above all else. And that also means desiring the things that God desires. If God desires um, justice, righteousness, holiness, truth, um, if he desires us to be people who, who worship him in a certain way, we should want those same things. Um, and we also talked about how hope flows into the heart. Right? Because, if, because hope is about our desires that are in the future. It's about faith projected forward into the future. Uh, that's what hope's about. What things are you hoping in? Are you hoping that one day you will finally get out of debt and you can finally afford the things you want to afford? Are you, is that what your hope is? Is your hope that one day that relationship that's severed or broken will be restored? Or maybe your hope is that you'll finally get through this, this sickness or this illness or this condition and finally be healed. Um, all those are not terrible things to want. But our hope is about the Lord. Our hope is that we have a God who loves us and that the things that he has given us now are enough, but we're still looking forward not to our conditions being fixed, not to getting out of debt, not to having our relationships restored. We're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. Why? Because the object of our desire is there. God. Because that is where we will be face-to-face with the Lord. So hope is saying, things of this life are not enough for me. I want heaven. I want to be face-to-face with God. And that's going to change how we view this life and the things of this life. They're not going to satisfy us. They're not going to be enough. We're not going to want them when God is our desire. And so we talked about how this changes how we, um, how we talk, how we act, how we live. Some of the virtues we talked about were things like humility, right? a proper understanding of who you are and who God is, um, temperance, right? not loving the things of this world. But we have a liberty that we actually we get the opportunity to lay down our liberty for the sake of other people, um, joy, and even sorrow. Talked about how in this life sorrow is um, is an application of hope because it should it should still hurt us when we see sin in our lives and in others' lives. Um, but we should also be defined by joy. As human beings, we should be defined by joy. That's loving God with our hearts. So there's faith, there's hope. What's the missing one? Faith, hope, and blank. Love. Love. So if if faith is about your mind, hope is about your heart, love is about your life. So how do you love God with your life? And this is the most recent, so I'm expecting you all to remember it. Dave. 
anything else that we, that we value, that it is more important, has more meaning, is, is deeper and um, uh, richer than everything else that we can imagine than anything else that we want. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think that has to do with the heart. But there's applications for life, sure. I think, you, was it Steve, you said wisdom? Yeah, wisdom. So what is what is wisdom? Yeah. Yeah. Wisdom is saying, here's, here's these decisions I have to make. Here's the situation in my life. You need to apply all that you know about God and say, well, what is the Lord? What does the Lord desire? What does the Lord um, hope? Or what, is, what does God uh, prioritize? Right, and conforming your own priorities and your decisions to that. Charlie, saw your hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of big words, but yes. <laughs> Basically, yeah, it's it's loving God with the things that you do, the things you make, the things you create, um, the things that you that you prioritize. Um, right? We talked about we talked about work and rest specifically as as virtues of the life. So I remember. Um, what psalm we talked about for like eight weeks um, had to do with this? I saw Nehemiah move his lips. Do you remember? It's 127. Yeah, I think Matt said it too. Close enough. Psalm whatever. Psalm Psalm 805, I think. Um, Yeah, that was uh, Psalm 127, one of my favorite psalms. Unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labor in vain. How, how, what's the word? Upside down, topsy-turvy is that to the world? Right? Work in the world is you put in the work, you get the paycheck. You earn it. Work for the Christian is God gives you the paycheck and you labor for his glory. You labor and you pray that God will also join your labor and make it fruitful. Because God's the one who actually builds the house. You're just kind of, you're there. <laughs> you're, you're helping, but helping like a two-year-old would help with the dishes. Um, like, not super great, but you're there, um, and it's fun. But the Lord is the one who's actually building the house. He's the one who's actually um, watching over the city. And like the, the third verse, right, the Lord is actually the one who gives you sleep and rest. It's in vain that you go to bed late and get up early eating the bread of anxious toil, for the Lord gives to his beloved sleep. Right, we think that work earns us rest. The Bible says God blesses you with rest to go and work for his glory. It's just backwards to the world. Uh, so let's, let's move forward. Which, which one of these, loving God with your mind, heart, or life, which one of these is hardest? Which one of these is the most difficult? 
What do you think? Okay. Sure, sure. You could say that um, it's easy to love God with your life when your heart and your mind are in the right place. Yeah, I think there's truth to that. Which do you find yourself struggling the most in? Mine. Really? Why? Yeah. Okay. Charlie. Just real quick, I really want a pillow crocheted or stitched with. <laughs> Sin sure is fun, Steve Etheridge. <laughs> um, John, did you have something to add? Yeah, you could. I, I think you could probably make a decent case for each one of these being the hardest. Um, I think it's because every one of us will struggle in different areas. We we have strengths and weaknesses. Um, some of us are strong in the mind and weak in the life. Some of us are strong in the life and weak in the heart. Right? There's the the, the problem is none of us is complete. <laughs> Maybe we have these really good strengths in one area, and then the other two are just kind of lacking. Um, that's part of sin in our lives. So you could probably make this, the case. I think each one of us would have a different... Is that me? I don't know. The mic's being weird today. Um, you could, each one of us could probably give a different answer. 
right, to which one's hardest. Um, I think part of that is because we also, we, we feel our own weaknesses. And so we tend to hide behind the virtues that we're good at. Right? We, we clothe ourselves with the things that we think we're strong in to hide the fact that we're weak in other areas, um, which is dangerous. Because you can't, I think, as you've heard these answers, hopefully you've started to put together, like, well, wait, these are all three kind of intertwined. Like, can you really get rid of one and keep the other two? Like, if you don't have your mind in the right place, can you love God rightly with your, with your life? If you don't have your heart in the right place, you're not even going to desire to do the right things. And, you know, vice versa, all these things are intertwined. You can't really get rid of one and keep the other. One of the dangers is we focus on our own strengths and we hide behind those in order to hide the fact that we are really bad at loving God with our hearts. We're really bad at loving him with our lives. Um, which kind of leaves us with two options. Or I guess three options. The first option, right, continue to hide. Continue to cloak ourselves and just grow more and more entrenched um, in that in that subterfuge. Second option, try harder. Do better. Right? You know your weaknesses, so just go out and go out and get them, Tiger. Right? Do better at those places that you're weak in. Um, or there's a third option, which of course is the is the only valid option. Um, look to the cross. Because at the end of the day, only Jesus, like Charlie pointed out, only Jesus is the truly virtuous, perfect human. He's the only one in the whole history of the entire world who has loved God perfectly with all of his mind, with all of his heart, and with all of his life. He's the only one. So God's goal for us in virtue is not that you um, do it all and become perfect and complete in this life on your own. God's goal is for you to be like Jesus, to be perfect like Jesus is perfect, but not on your own timing and not by your own strength. God didn't say, well, you're weak in some areas, so try harder, do better. God said, you're weak in some areas, and I had to die for you because of those weaknesses. And even because your strengths weren't enough, look to the cross. Go to Jesus, where you will find not only forgiveness, but all the strength and resources you need to pick up your cross and to follow him. So at the end of the day, right, what's, what's the most important thing about virtue? It points us to Jesus. And we'll circle back to that in a couple minutes. Um, so we're almost out of time already. But I want to ask one more question. Um, what's, which one of these, loving God with your heart, your mind, or your life, which one of those is most important? Are they all equally important? Is there a priority? Does it matter? Is that a stupid question? What do you think? I think the Lord does require all of it, but which one's most important, John? So they're all equally important. Okay. 
suppose there maybe there's priority in what he's saying, but it doesn't seem like it seems like they're they're equally important, and that they should all be part of our our commitment to love God. Mm-hmm. Okay, Charlie. Can I ask you a question? No. Okay. Can I ask you a question, Charlie? No. All right. Well, I'm sorry then. So, which do you think is most important when it comes to repentance? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I think, I think that they're both right. I think that you can't really separate. I think the way that the Lord has revealed the three, like they're as inseparable as the Trinity. They all are connected so intimately in such a way that they are three sides of the same Okay. So Charlie's on the equally important side. So I think we have three for equally important. Anyone anyone want to argue against that? Michelle. Well, I don't want to. I just want to say, I think it's easy to fool ourselves and think that your life, the outward, is the easiest to do. And like, okay, I got that. But then you end up being like the Pharisees who Jesus called the whitewashed tombs, where they were doing all the right things, but their heart and their minds were far from him. And so I want to say that heart and mind are most important, but I can't choose between the two. Okay. Yeah, Sarah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Gary. It's kind of interesting the way Philippians puts it. It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever is good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard in me, these do. Okay. So so what are you saying? Well, I'm saying, if this focus are these things in our lives, they flow out into our life. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Mm-hmm. True. And how do you know the word if you're not putting it in your mind? Okay. So, so let me read a verse, and we have four minutes, so it's going to be super, super quick. Um, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I appreciate what you all are saying. Um, here's, here's one of the things that I've tried to show, right? is that the mind has to do with faith, the heart has to do with hope, the life has to do with love. Um, I think if you, even if you had a, a really imperfect understanding of the Lord, and even if you knew that your heart wasn't in the right place, but you truly desired to love the Lord, that's the most important. Theology is good. Having the right desires is good. 
Um, and loving God with your heart is good. But at the end of the day, when it comes, boils down, what's the most important thing, not only the foundation of the three virtues, but where it comes from and how it shows itself, love is the most important. Because love binds all of it together. Right? Faith without love is nothing. Hope in your heart without love, nothing. Love is the only thing binding it all together. Um, so if you had to, if you had to say which ones may be the most important, or not even the most important, but which would you prioritize? You know, knowing the right things, having the right desires, or loving the Lord. Loving the Lord is the priority. Um, they're all bound together. You can't get rid of one without the other. But love is the thing that binds it together. Love's the glue and the whole reason we do all of this. Matt. Yeah, our whole being is in service to the Lord, absolutely. My, my point is not to say that, um, well, forget faith, who needs that? Forget you know, doctrine, that's stupid, or, or confessions or stuff. My, my point is, right, all those things are, don't have any value without love. Because Paul says, if you speak in the tongues of men and angels but not love, have all prophetic powers, understand all knowledge, have all faith, um, give away all that you have, Without love, those are meaningless. This goes back to the difference between an unbeliever and a believer. Um, Virtue is not about the things we do. Virtue is about loving the Lord. So my point is is not to... I I realize I probably made it more confusing with how I I led these questions. Um, I'm sorry about that. My point is... Love is the driving force and what holds all of these together. Every virtue. Without love, it's meaningless. You could have all courage, but without love, it's not actually courage. Or all patience. Or all generosity. um, Or all humility. Without love, it doesn't matter. Love Love is what we're called to do, to love the Lord. And it flows out into these three ways, right? Heart, mind, and life. Um, But the big question, right, is so where does that love come from? Is it self-generated? Or is love of God a, a gift of God that he gives to us? He is the one who changes our hearts. 
He swaps out our hearts of stone for hearts of flesh. He's the one who loved us first when we hated him. And he's the one guiding us in our lives with our decisions to love him. Um, My point is I want to close our time on virtue with the simple fact that virtue is meaningless unless God builds the house. (coughs) Psalm 127 strikes again. Um, Because I don't want you to walk out of here feeling like you need to try harder, nor do I want you walking out feeling discouraged that you're not there yet. Um, I want you to walk out praising God that he has called you and died for you, given his life for you, and been perfect for you. And that everything you need to walk in the life he's called you to walk is on the cross, nowhere else. So virtue should drive us to the cross, both when we fail and when we have the, when God gives us the grace to succeed. That drives us to the cross. Amen? All right. Well, y'all did it. Six months of virtues. You survived. Thanks for putting up with my rambling. Um, if you have any thoughts or questions or, or final things, you can talk to me afterwards. Um, but we're not going to talk about virtue ever again. <laughs> All right. Let's pray, and then we'll close. Almighty Lord, we thank you so much uh, for what you've done for us. Father, thank you that all, even though all of Scripture gives us commands and shows us how we are to live, nowhere does it say that we're to do it on our own. Nowhere does it say that we do it by our own power, on our own initiative. For even the desire to love you comes from you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. May you drive us to the cross every day. Help us, Lord, to set our minds on Christ, to desire the things you desire, to hope uh, and desire you above all else. And may our lives, Lord, flow out from that. May our lives um, demonstrate and give testimony to the faith you've granted us. May you help us to be humble, generous, to be patient, to trust you, to be joyful people, and above all, to look to the cross. We pray all this, Lord, through our mediator and our savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.